Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 100. We have hit the century. I'm Paul Spain. With me on the podcast tonight is... Rob Berman. And Zara Baxter. Welcome along, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Rob, uh, good, good to have you here. Your first uh, time. Yep, thank you. Uh, now, you're from, uh, you're from Fatso. What's your role at, uh, at Fatso? I'm the general manager at Fatso. Cool. And Zara, of course, from PC World. Where I'm the editor and, uh, you know, general butt kicker. Good, good to have you. Uh, good to have you back. <laughs> uh, now, lots of fun topics uh, tonight. Now, now, first up, one, um, uh, I guess, a bit of a follow up from from last week. Last week, we were talking uh, about uh, about quick flicks, and uh, we we had uh, some some representation from uh, from quick quick flicks on the uh, on the podcast in the form of uh, Patty. Now, what we uh, what we didn't know, uh, I mean, we, we we caught some interesting, uh, I guess, snippets and bits and pieces around quick flicks and and their new uh, uh, the new Xbox app and so on. But what we didn't know was uh, there were a few dramas going on with uh, with quick flicks that have been covered in the media over the past few days. Um, and I guess the um, the big one is that the the Australian CEO and two of their uh, directors resigned. Uh, so leaving, um, I guess, uh, yeah, um, a little bit of a little bit of a mess there, uh, and uh, we understand some uh, some challenges around uh, around financing. So uh, I guess the hope is that uh, this sort of stuff settles down and and they uh, and they keep going. Um, what's your take on this one, Rob? From a, uh, uh, I mean, you're you're playing, I guess, in a similar space to what they're doing, but with um, you know traditional DVD rentals rather than uh, rather than online. Do you think it's too early for this sort of business model to to work in the um, in the New Zealand and Australian market, or uh, you know what what do you think sort of led led to them uh, um, you know having some of these challenges? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. Um, <coughs> I mean, I followed them obviously for, um, they started a similar time to us, they started probably about a year before us, back in, I think that was 2003, we were 2004. Right, so they would do it, they started with DVD rentals in the Australian market in, in a similar way to, to what you, you've been doing here in the New Zealand market? Well, that's right, and they're still mm. their main business, really. They've been doing streaming for probably about a year in Australia now, or probably not actually even that. Um, well, I... I think you know they've got to be commended. I think for what they've achieved technically, um, up at, you know just recently, they've certainly you know, that's not an easy thing to achieve. And I think a lot of companies um, are looking at that and you know um, probably trying to replicate that or thinking about replicating that. Um, I think their challenges have really been around trying to make that a model that financially works for them. Yeah, I, th- I mean I think when we look you know in various markets around the world, the concept of um, Building a profitable business on, um, you know, st- uh, selling streaming uh, video services has been quite a challenging one from a from a profitability uh, perspective. That's my understanding, anyways. You know, it's um, it's mm. quite possible to make money renting out, you know, DVDs, uh, but you know these these services that are that are really low cost. When we look at um, um, at QuickFlix's subscription, I think it's around fifteen dollars a month. Uh, you know, when you compare that with going and renting renting out, you know, some DVDs or buying DVDs, it's a pretty low cost um, service. So, I can yeah, understand there being some challenges, sort of making 
you know making that whole thing sort of add up and and uh, you know and being profitable because the cost of content isn't isn't low and the cost of developing apps and putting them across a lot of platforms is uh, it's got to be reasonably pricey too I think they've got a couple of things there um, the, the biggest problem probably was that or is that they haven't managed to make the DVD model profitable so they've never actually made a profit over this that whole 10 years or 9 years that they've been operating um, look if you compare that to Netflix right they had an incredibly successful DVD rental model they were very profitable high, high um, free cash flow and then they built the streaming model off that, basically giving away streaming for a number of years mm. um, and now transitioning. But now they're hitting some hurdles. They're basically saying that probably the December quarter this year will be, um, they'll be making a loss. You know, and they were making some very good profits before. So, and that's mainly because of rising content costs. So um, over here, in, uh, if you compare QuickFlix, um, they haven't made that DVD um, model profitable for them and now they're building this you know they've invested a lot into the into the new streaming model, and mm. I think that's where the, their problems probably, are really stemming from. And quite gutsy for them to jump into the New Zealand market, uh, you know, as well, and and uh, and giving that a go without any sort of existing, uh, you know, business on this side. Zara, what's your take on it? Do you use any of these sort of services? How do you consume content? Where do you get it from? Do you pay for it? Do you steal it? Do you, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> tell us all? Um, I don't really. <laughs> um, actually, no, I mean, I, I buy a few DVDs, but I'm not, not really and never have been a TV watcher, so I'm not the best example. I do purchase streaming uh, sport from overseas, which is my main streaming. You know, that takes like 80 gig a month when I'm using it, and mm. that's a huge chunk. Lots of people don't have that kind of, you know, that kind of bandwidth here in New Zealand. The caps are an issue. From the Australian perspective, I know that unmetering from the ISPs is a really big factor in whether a streaming service will be successful or not. You have to get a few ISPs on board. But here in New Zealand, that kind of unmetering where you get it for free, that kind of content for free through your ISP, and it doesn't count against your cap, we don't really have that. I think that's starting to be less of an issue, though, because we've seen the caps, you know, move up to where we've got, you know, 100, 200, 500 gig caps. And certainly for me, because I stream a lot of content, mm. uh, you know, predominantly through the likes of Netflix and so on, which obviously is it's quite a few hoops to jump through to get that in, in place. Although we do cover on the NZ Tech podcast site how to do it if you want to <laughs> uh, want to do that. But, um, you know, I, I find that the, the data caps that we now have seem to seem to be OK without having to worry about. Uh, you know, free um, free content, but I guess for a, a lot of consumers, maybe that's if, something that if scares them off. You've got a whole off. family, and you've got you know an iPad and a couple of laptops, and they're all accessing the internet. The average New Zealand plan is still only around thirty gig, and that gets chewed up really fast if you've got three PCs accessing the internet over the month. If you add streaming on top of that, it becomes an onerous burden. And you know, the Aussie plans have been at a terabyte for what three years now. That's a big cap, and even they still do unmetering on that. So, mm, mm. yeah, I think I think it's it's going to take a little while for the streaming to take off. Here. I don't actually see that as being the biggest hurdle to the uptake of those services like Quickflix. It's actually the content. I mean, people. Um, I mean, maybe the listeners no, to this totally podcast agree. are not the, you know, the typical because they probably are interested in the technology, but most people don't care about the technology. They're actually it's about what they're watching, and that's the problem. Quickflix really have is their, te- their they've got a really, yeah, I, I, really limited range. Yeah, and I think that. That's a really fair point, and it's really, really uh, probably hard for them. Now, um, you know, I guess, you know, Fat, so you guys are owned by um, Sky, right? 
and I guess part of the you know part of the discussions that has been had is that Sky does ha- and I don't know the ins and outs of what the practicalities are and what the con- what contracts exist, but that Sky owns a lot of those um, uh, you know those you know distribution contracts. Um, so maybe uh, the likes of QuickFlix and so on. Um, well, there's no so on in this market at the moment. It's just QuickFlix. Um, you know, it's hard for them to necessarily get rights to all the content. Is that is that fair, or what? I mean, what um, do you know about that picture that you can uh, share? <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak for Sky. Um, sure, but what the the area that they're operating in is called SVOD, so it's subscription video, and, that's right, as opposed to TVOD like iTunes, where you just pay per paper play. And most of the contracts in that area, most of the content is under non-exclusive contracts. Most You can pre- pretty much buy it if you can stump up the dollars, um, except for there are some exceptions here in New Zealand or in any territory. So in New Zealand, yes, I think it's well documented that Sky have those rights tied up for HBO. Because mm. HBO are shareholder in, in, in QuickFlix, aren't they? Yeah, and I, yeah. I guess... You know, it should be easy for them to perhaps complain about that across the boardroom table. No, no. <laughs> um, but that is, uh, it's really a matter of dollars. And, and we're talking about substantial dollars. So if you even look at Netflix, that's their biggest problem now. They're looking at producing um, original content um, to get some differentiation in their markets. Um, but that costs a lot of money. So... They've lost some really important contracts, like Stars, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I I use um, you know I use a lot of Netflix and uh, you know also the Amazon Video uh, service, which seems to have a lot of similarities to it in the US. And of course, uh, you know that's not going to be you know useful to most New Zealand consumers, you know any any time soon, unless they mm. were to launch an offering in the in the market. Um, but when you look at their content, I mean, I think there's there's definitely room for different types of services and different offerings. Uh, you know, it makes sense to um, you know to uh, you know use those for you know content that isn't so uh, fresh. But at the sort of prices they charge, there's no way that you're going to get new releases and so on through a, a Netflix or a QuickFlix subscription service. That's where it comes down to. It's yeah. really a complementary service, I think, to other services. Yeah. Because of that. And I mean, do you think going going forward? I mean, you guys are pretty competitive, right? In terms of your 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 pricing model, if people want reasonably new um, content, what does it cost to have, um, you know, to have a subscription w- with Fatso for uh, for getting sent out, you know, DVD and and Blu-ray media? Uh, that starts at nine ninety five, and the most popular plans go up to about twenty eight twenty eight bucks. Yep. And so, during, on that basis, you are you're able to get sent out multiple I mean what are the how do those plans break down I'm curious because it's a while since I've looked at it um, and and it might be something that I should I should look at again how do yeah so how do those what do you get for your for your money um, well it's depending on which package you're on and what price you're paying it's mm. it's, it's and the number of DVDs you can have per month right and the number of DVDs you can have at a time so for instance uh, 2299 would get you six DVDs a month three at a time Right, okay, so you can get all six at a time actually with Fatso. Right, so. so that's a that's a lot cheaper than you can get access to that content through and through, uh, you know, off iTunes, etc. Right? Yeah, well, that's right. Or, or going down to a DVD store, and then you can keep them as long as you like, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And and how do you how do, how's your you know what's the sort of technology play? How do you you know pick what you're going to 
watch and so on. Obviously, there's a you know delay from when you pick something to when you uh, receive it because it's got to come to you in the in the post. But um, you know, how does that mechanism uh, work? Oh, okay, so basically you browse the site and um, we've got 30,000 titles. So that's one of the big things, I guess, that we have to offer is that we've got more content than anybody else. So that's you know, basically any broadcaster or... Because um, you don't have to go through all those licensing type deals. It's just any, anything that you can you can buy can you can you make anything that you can buy available for rental or are there are there you know legal ramifications around Almost. some <laughs> some some uh some media yeah there are some there are some music um titles for instance that um we aren't able to rent um and there's the odd cinematic title but mostly if it's available on dvd or blur in new zealand we can rent it and is there a law that enables that? Because I think a lot of stuff you watch, it says not, you know, this must not be, you know, rented or hired or or something that you buy from a, Shown on a retail. Always with the oil rigs. Okay. Yeah. So basically, we when we have distributor agreements with with the local distributors, and that sets out what we're allowed to do. It's just essentially renting it. Right. Um, some of those titles, they just simply won't let us. Okay. Rent them out. Um, and we, I mean, we comply with that, obviously. Mm. So, for instance, right now with the latest content that's available on iTunes or at a local, you know, DVD type store, um, you would have would have all of that, yeah, all of it. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. basically thirty thousand yeah. titles. It's, you won't find mm. that anywhere. Mm. So then you basically create a a list of titles you want to see, and then we start sending the titles off your list. When you send one back, we send the next one out to you. Do you, do you, would you run into issues if you want to see a new release and everyone wants to see it at once? You know, could you be waiting for a, a month for, for, I don't know, whatever the, you know, the newest movie is to sort of hit you? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have to see all the latest releases on day one, we're probably not the service for you. Um, we might be a complimentary service. Um, obviously, we can service all the niches um, and we have all those new releases, but you, we can't guarantee you're going to get those on day one. Yep. That, that's a limitation of the service mm. that we offer as opposed to a video on demand service. Okay, okay, that's good. Um, now, there's, I guess um, there's, there's a fair bit of uh, news going on at the moment from all directions. A couple of local stories. Um, we've, we've just had a look today actually at ASB's new, uh, new mobile app that's going to be coming through. Uh, I think that's due in the next, next week or two, so um, we can't. Um, we can't sort of share anything on that, but they'll be releasing uh, a new update to their app, which is good to see. They seem to be quite, you know, very much uh, at the forefront is what we're seeing from ASB in terms of their their technology products. I think we were we were all chatting about it earlier, and all of us in the room use ASB's mobile app, right? Um, yep. So yeah, good on good on them for staying at the forefront. I think they're the only bank at the moment that's got a Windows Phone app as well. Um, so they're really trying to sort of cover the bases um, quite well, and it's good to see them, you know, innovating with regular uh, new releases. So um, we'll have a little bit more detail on that when it becomes uh, becomes available. Uh, now a new uh, a new product that's come through from um, from the Trade Me guys is a. Um, a little website called Rummage, R-U-M-M-A-G-E dot co dot N-Z. Um, now, we had a quick look at this earlier. Um, what, what, was your, what was your pick on it, uh, Zara? What does it look like? What does it remind you of? It, it's Pinterest. It's, it's a Trade Me Pinterest. So lots of, lots of images, but of course, because Trade Me is an auction site, lots of people use the same image for, you know, very similar items. So it gets a little repetitive, but, you know, it's a nice way to see things visually if visual is the way that you approach this kind of stuff. And often, you know, you don't want to click through several layers of detailed descriptions to get to the image. You just want to see what it is straight away, which this really lends itself to. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think the same thing because it was very visual. It's going to be dependent highly on people putting up, you know, good representations of the products that they're selling. Yeah, I guess it depends what you're searching for. With you know, with some products, it's going to be a lot more relevant than uh, than others. But yeah, it's it's pretty much a, a well, they're calling it the visual search for uh, for trade me. And the the example that they give, and I've just gone to the homepage now, is uh, is coffee tables. Uh, and you know, if, if you were looking mm. to buy a coffee table, that sort of view of it's really good because each one is quite unique, and you can visually sort of flick through. Um, there's some really ghastly-looking coffee tables on Trade Me. <laughs> I can uh, I can assure you. Um, but hey, hey, careful now! I've got a friend who's selling a coffee table on Trade Me right now. I'm not going to describe which is ghastly because that's very much in the eye of the beholder. But I'm looking at a few that I think are ghastly. But there'll be uh, somebody out there that probably thinks they're absolutely wonderful. So. Um, and, and judging on some of the prices that are being asked for, I think is um, is quite yeah um, ugly. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe there are people that um, that like these things. So anyway, um, yeah, I think it's it's worth a look if you're a, if you're a regular uh, Trade Me user and uh, you're looking for a product that uh, you know from a visual perspective this would um, this will help you make a make a pick. It's um, uh, yeah, it's certainly easier than using the traditional uh, trade me site to, uh, to to flick and to browse through. So yeah. They, yeah. they described it as being experimental, so I think they're probably still trying to work out what it is or what it's for, I think. I also kind of wonder whether um, Pinterest obviously has about a, well, not in the UK, but everywhere else has about a 70% female user base. And I wonder whether this is in particular a bit more of an appeal to women to try and encourage them to use the service a bit more. Well, I don't kind of think if we need to that we need to encourage women to use uh, Trade Me in this country. Well, uh, from my experience, there, there is no issue there with their, uh, <laughs> success. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Are you a regular Trade Me user? Uh, I'm not, no. But I can see it being useful for cars as well. Like It's the kind of thing where if you're looking for a car, you know, zip through. Yeah, well, I guess um, yeah, there are different audiences that that are looking for different things, and uh, yeah, I mean, definitely some products. It's going to be a great way to sort of have a quick quick flick through and find what you're looking for. Um, now, a little bit of a follow up: uh, Windows Phone Eight, which we talked about last week with uh, uh, Telecom New Zealand, you know, launching here in, in New Zealand uh, along with Microsoft, some of the first uh, handsets. Now, um, Zara. I had the well, we had the uh, the Lumia 920 here on the podcast last week, and uh, it was quickly passed over to uh, to you and the PC World uh, team. Now, tell me, um, how, how did you get on with that uh, new uh, Lumia 920? Uh, well, uh, the first day went okay, and then when the battery ran down, uh, my staff writer Siobhan, who's been reviewing it, put it on the wireless charger to charge, but. Um, when she came back a few hours later, it had overheated and shut down. It was very hot to the touch, and it took a few hours before it was able to restart. So um, we're on our third Lumia 920 right now. Because I, I was thinking that maybe that was that was my fault. Because you know, in the past, we you know we've damaged one or two products that we've got, and I thought, well, maybe that was you know something I did because it worked flawlessly when I had it. The wireless charger was great, um, but the fact that you're you're now onto the did you say third? Yeah, um, we're on to our third. We managed onto, to onto your third crush one. the they second must... one as well. But look, Chris, Chris Gardner down at Waikato Times, who's also part of our kind of tech stable, he's had no problems with his whatsoever. Um, Nokia told us they were going to recall all the early production models they'd sent out and you know replace right, them right so there might have been the pre-production but units the, the early production they right. don't send out pre-production they're early production units mm. um, but 
they called Chris Gardner and said, hey, can we get your uh, Lumia 920 back? And he's like, no, it's working fine. You can't have it back. <laughs> I love it. That's Chris for you. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I haven't really heard, um, you know, too much about there being issues with, with ones that have gone out um, for, for public sale, but uh, no doubt there will be a few uh, issues uh, if some of the ones that have gone to media have got issues there might be some of those first units that are going to um, you know exhibit issues so if anyone has hit that because uh, I know there's definitely a bunch of, of people that have jumped in quite quickly to get their hands on uh, on those units then uh, get hold of what do they call themselves Nokia Care um, for uh, for a bit of help yeah, or drop us a line at NZPC World as well, you know. We, we, we're keen to hear about it. We, we did a bit of Googling, obviously, to find out whether it was a common problem, and it seems like a few people have suffered from it, but none of the other reviewers I've contacted in other countries have had this problem, so it may just be we've got a little bad batch. Keep an eye out. Mm, mm, okay. Uh, now, we, we heard some interesting uh, stats, and I'm, I'm waiting uh, to see whether I can get anything, um, anything official out of uh, Nokia, but... Um, around uh, the Lumia 920 selling out in, uh, in some markets or being very, very scarce. Now, some colours, yes. Now, we don't necessarily know how many units have been released initially, but we heard, uh, we heard about uh, there being a sellout in Germany, uh, I think in Australia with, yep, Australia. Um, uh, with Telstra. I know that the, the handsets that were in retailers here in New Zealand went very quickly, but there was also some um, you know, online orders available, so I don't know how uh, how telecom went with with that, but I know what was in stores sold out quite quickly, and in the U.S. market, I understand some of the. Um, I mean, they launched with a whole bunch of colours over there, whereas we just got black. Um, uh, uh, now, I just want to add to that actually, because telecom did a survey asking what other colour they should bring in, and uh, they announced today that they'll be bringing in yellow models. Right, yeah, they were doing that over Twitter, weren't they? Yep, yep, yep. which yep. is great because I love the yellow. Good, and obviously a lot of other people do too. Yeah, no, I think um, I think there's nothing wrong with having a brightly coloured. Uh, it look uh, good on rummage. Fine. It would yeah, look good on rummage. Well, it depends on the background that you put it on. Mm, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so there we have it. Now um, the the other handset was the um, the HTC 8s. So we, we got a lot of readers who were who were quite disappointed that the AX isn't being released here as yet, which I, is I the, believe it's, the higher it's, end it's model coming reasonably soon, right? Hopefully, hopefully. Well, uh, we haven't heard anything unless Vodafone haven't told us what they're bringing in, but um, perhaps Bo- Vodafone will bring it in. But that, oh, that's my impression is that <laughs> it will be available through uh, Vodafone. Uh, nothing official yet, but um, the the signs are pointing in in that direction that that both the ATS and the ATX will be available from uh, from Vodafone. So let's hope that's the case because it's good to have you know obviously a range of devices in uh, in the local market. Um, what I found around the um, HTC 8S and the unit I had was a was a pre production unit, I believe, or not a you know not a certainly not the final software build. Um, and and the impression I got from others in passing it around was it is a really nice handset, similar sort of size uh, to the iPhone uh, 5 in, in many ways, 4-inch uh, screen. The big, uh, I guess the big differences between that and it's very much a, a lower-end handset compared to the, you know, the, uh, the Lumia 920 uh, coming in at $499 um, is a really nice hands, you know, really nice feel um, but the, you know, I guess a couple of the key limitations is it's got a lower resolution screen which for a lot of people is neither here nor there um, but if you want a high-end phone then you know you will definitely get a, a much sharper screen with it. Um, 
uh, lower lower end camera, five megapixel uh, camera, uh, and only four gigs of storage, which is is really you know small. Uh, particularly in the Windows Phone world, but you can expand it, right? Exactly, that's what I was just about to say. Unlike the Lumia 920, you can add a micro SD card to the 8S. So I'm with you. The 8S is a really nice tactile phone. It's got a really nice texture to it, really lightweight, nice and affordable. It has less RAM as well, um, which is the other limitation. And um, we found previously when we were testing that lower RAM on Windows 8 phones can slow them down quite significantly so it's worth going in trying in store or if you think you're buying it just to make sure it's fast enough for you but um, yeah really nice little phone we tested out the camera it was pre-production camera obviously but it turns out really nice photos given it's only 5 megapixel too yeah I, I mean I think the the ADS for me is probably something that I see being quite relevant you know to businesses that are wanting to put uh, you know phones in the hands of it you know they're wanting to enable their workforce with uh, with smartphones uh, you know it's at that sort of level it, it does what most businesses will need uh, and I think for you know for individual users that are wanting to buy a smartphone but uh, maybe don't have the budget to go up to a higher end uh, you know higher end phone it's pretty well uh, pretty well featured once you put in um, that extra memory card which you which you will need um, what what I wasn't able to work out because it wasn't the final software build is how much of that four gigs of storage would be available. The one I looked at had only about four hundred megs worth of the the main storage available. I think you need a bit more than that to be loading apps on and so on because the apps have to go into the main storage. It's your photos and your music and so on that go on the storage card. Um, I did find that uh, syncing a, a big email account to it and contacts, calendar and so on didn't seem to use up very much at all uh, so it seems pretty efficient in terms of how it uses that storage and when we look at the apps most of them are actually pretty small you know a couple of megs so uh, that is obviously one of the considerations I'm sure that they've mm. they've looked at and didn't seem to be an issue at all uh, as I say with with the unit that I um, that I that I tried. I'm finding that storage is becoming less important with those things anyway uh, I mean I'm, I'm using Spotify so I'm really not storing that much. I might I might sync a playlist to my phone, but that's about it. Um, Picasa for for photos, so I'm not even storing those locally anymore on my phone. So it's there's not that much I'm actually storing on it. Well, we've got cloud storage. You know, we, we take a photo and it synchronizes to the cloud, and you know, Windows Phone does that to um, um, yeah, predominantly to to SkyDrive. I'm not sure if any of the other apps are going to be able to. Um, um, you know, do the same sort of thing on Windows Phone, but that seems to work reasonably well. Yep. Good. Uh, now, oh, we had a little bit of an update last week. We we looked at uh, LG's new eighty-four inch Ultra HD TV. Now, um, Zara, you were at that uh, the the uh, launch event for that as well. Yes. Um, now, what were your impressions? You've got some impressions around the TV and some impressions around the uh, the rest of the event. Uh, the the TV, I thought was. Um pretty sharp it was it was hard to get a really good idea of um how the motion compensation was going to work because they the demo reel they had on it was very limited so you couldn't really get a sense of how much detail you would get how sharp it was or the kind of motion compensation so i i don't really want to comment about the tv too much it's a good looking tv but you know um we saw a sony one a few weeks ago where we saw a newspaper blown up onto the ultra high definition screen and you could read it from meters away you know so detailed and i didn't get that kind of 
that kind of look at the the LG screen. No, but, the um, demo was a bit uh, was a bit it was different. Very lackluster. I would have loved to see. I mean, there's a couple of ultra high def music videos, you know, 4K music videos that you could use to demonstrate that kind of content and really show off the movement, but they didn't. And even with the Sony one, you know, they use kind of slow moving content as much as possible, which is fair enough. But hey, it still looked pretty good. Yeah, the uh, the sound on it was pretty impressive for for a TV. I'd never come across anything like that. I guess when you've got uh, when you've got so much money to throw around, you can put in some pretty top notch uh, uh, sound. Yeah, they got fifty watt speakers in it, um, which did seem to pump out a reasonable amount. Even you know fifty watt, eh, but yeah, it turned out pretty good music. Mm. Uh, and now the other bit that we got wrong, we we had uh, thought that the price was going to be around thirty five k. We didn't have confirmed pricing, uh, but that was the price of the Sony one, which, from what we can tell, is based on the same panel. Uh, but uh, LG have come back and confirmed that it's twenty five thousand for uh, uh, for that eighty four inch um, TV. Which um, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of money, but uh, you know, for what it is. Um, yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable, and naturally that price is going to come down. Uh, you know, it won't be too long before you know, give it a five years, and that will be, you know, I imagine that'll be the sort of thing that we can pick up for the same price as we can pick up, you know, sixty um, five inch and sixty inch sort of TVs for today. Do you think that's likely to be the case? Is the price going to keep coming down to that extent, or do you think this is just always going to be a absolute premium top end? No, definitely not. I, I um, look at like 3D TVs, which were really expensive to start with, but now, you know, even though there isn't that much 3D content, they're really quite affordable. These are going to go exactly the same way. 25K sounds like a lot. Um, I asked the LG guys how many they thought they'd sell, and they, they thought they'd sell a few dozen easily across New Zealand, which, you know, if you can sell a few dozen of those in New Zealand, you, you're doing pretty well, I reckon. What does it look like when you're watching broadcast TV on it? Don't know. Can't tell you as yet. No. No, we did. I mean, it, it was a... You know, it I guess it was a it was a, it was a, clo- it was a close demo. Um, you know what we saw looked good and and, and sounded good, but yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I guess they haven't sent us out units to use to use at home, have they? <laughs> they haven't. They haven't sent out review models to 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 everyone yet. So I'm not sure what's up with that. But disappointed, really. We're certainly open to review models, but I know with Sony, what they said was that. The, the TV was so big that they didn't really want to ship it out to reviewers. They'd rather reviewers came in and, you know, watched whatever content they wanted for a few hours to get an idea of how the, the TV worked. Spend the weekend hanging out at Sony. Hey, look, you know, if that's what it takes and they're willing to provide me with, you know, excellent food as well, I'm, I'm up for it, definitely. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to see. What we need to do is get the two of them to collaborate so we can actually have them, LG and the Sony in the Face room off. together, so we can actually do a, a real comparison. So um, we'll put the challenge out there for LG and Sony and uh, uh, see whether they're up for it. Um, all right. Now, uh, a little bit... Um, a little bit of news around uh, what's happening in uh, in Christchurch with um, with Epic, which is uh, well, what Idealog was calling um, Christchurch's own Silicon Valley. <laughs> what's what do you guys think of uh, of this? I mean, it's a it's a good idea to have a space where uh, you know where tech companies can sort of you know startups can can get together and and uh, you know have a space to operate from, but. Um, uh, you know, of comparing it to uh, to Silicon Valley seems uh, somewhat over the top to me. Yeah. yeah, but I think there's about 17 companies, I think, or startup companies of tech companies that have moved into the space. So I can see that it would be a great environment for them to be operating, especially 
situation down in Christchurch. They need somewhere to operate out of. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, you know, I'm always behind uh, you know New Zealand companies that are uh, that are uh, you know using technology and and uh, you know exporting what they develop here in New Zealand. I think you know that that's a good thing. I mean, there's a whole mix of companies down there, uh, including sort of bigger names that or names that we've heard of, such you know BNZ. Um, SLI systems, you know, there are various names that have been around for a while, but then a lot of uh, uh, smaller companies that um, that you wouldn't be so uh, familiar with, um, the Stickman Studios as well. Um, so yeah, there's there's a there's I guess a mix of, of familiar names and um, and smaller more more startup type um, businesses. But uh, I mean, surely there's got to be some benefit of all these guys working together, able to sort of you know rub shoulders and and learn from each other. You think, Zara? Uh, you want to hope so. I kind of think you know it's Silicon Valley there's a culture of um, angel investors and a real kind of pruning and screening process that goes on through things like Y Combinator where startup ideas the, the very initial kind of cauldron of ideas is, is pruned down and whittled down to the ones which are most likely to be successful and they're the ones that get the funding there's a lot of media around that as well in, based in San Francisco that helps put the word out test this kind of stuff you know and the other factor that's really important, of course, is government support. And I know San Francisco has just gone through a whole, you know, redesigning government policy in, in the city there to support their startup culture much more. And so there's government support behind the Christchurch Initiative, Epic, yeah, which, which is, is great. great. Yeah. Um, but I wonder about the kind of media and um, the kind of angel investor Y Combinator style of stuff and how strong that is down there. I'd, I'd love to see it go off but I also know that there's people like um, Leighton Duncan from Polar Bear Farm who you know has left Christchurch to go to Australia because he didn't feel like he was getting the kind of or is going because he wasn't didn't feel he was getting the kind of support that he needed from government and from the system around that area so to me it seems like there's a few things probably still missing that need to be worked on yeah, I, I mean, it's um, it's a bit of a hard one. I mean, you look at you know Polar Bear Farm, and you know they've been developing a lot a lot of apps, and uh, you know you'd look at them as um, as already a success, and you you know I guess you wonder do do they need a whole lot of help to you know do they need government uh, assistance to kind of uh, you know to get going well, to to grow internationally perhaps. Aren't they selling the large majority of their apps internationally already? <laughs> I'm just, you know, just asking the questions. Yeah, you know, folks in San Francisco keep getting, you know, money and angel investor funds even when they've been going for several years and doing things internationally. If they're not turning a profit, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, um, maybe maybe that's, um, you know, that's someone that we should have, have on the show and hear a little bit more about what some of the challenges are because, I mean, it is a pity to hear about, you know, a New Zealand, a New Zealand firm that... Uh, you know, is maybe picking up and and uh, moving offshore because they're not getting the support. And yeah, it would be interesting to know um, to know a little bit more about you know what what uh, what we should be doing and what it is that um, uh, that's happening in Australia that makes it a more attractive uh, market. I mean, there's always that thing of being in a in a bigger uh, you know environment that there are often a lot more uh, uh, opportunities. Um, so yeah. Any thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, well, I think it's a pity that they're moving. <coughs> um, and I wonder whether they considered sort of Wellington or something like that, who've got a, you know, a real tech hub there. Um, but I guess if you're moving and you're, you're picking up sticks then, and you've, you know, you're at that stage of development already, then perhaps, um, is it Sydney or Melbourne they're going to? Melbourne, isn't it? I mm. think they're going to. Might be a better option. 
Well, I mean, yeah. we see a lot of New Zealand businesses that 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 uh, you know aim to get themselves established in in Silicon Valley in that sort of San Francisco Bay Area, uh, but you know, and probably in in a lot of cases they they'll try to you know keep their New Zealand base, but you know, just uh, you know, a bit of a beachhead there to uh, um, uh, you know get established into the U.S. market, get those connections, get access to funding and uh, to media and and so on that they get from from that presence rather than just completely uh, up, uprooting themselves. Yeah, I mean, Christchurch is a bit of a special case probably. I mean, just given the situation, just trying to live there, the way things are right now, I guess there's other factors at play there as well, surely. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess yeah, look, looking at a, a lot of businesses down down there, you know, generally, um, I, you know, I wonder how a lot of the businesses have, have kept going and I guess so many of them have closed down. Uh, but you know, in the area of, of developing uh, software, where they're not so reliant on you know on the you know well not very reliant at all on the on the local market. In some ways, you'd think uh, um, you know it would it would be a good uh, place to be because um, you know lot, lots of people that are um, you know probably available from an employment perspective because other businesses have closed down and so on. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure there are some unique challenges about operating um, in that space. Um, might be hard to know. find people who were willing to move to the area. Perhaps there's people there in the area that uh, are looking for employment. But if you are trying to attract someone to Christchurch, I'm sure that's a challenge. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, I can't imagine it's um, it's ideal. But I guess the good thing is, is things are improving, and uh, you know, and and you know what what we've seen there um, with the startup of the the Epic Tech tech hub um is that you know that's that's quite central and there's a lot of a lot of people behind it so yeah let, let's hope it really has a positive um a positive impact you know both for uh, um you know for tech exporters uh you know new zealand tech exporters in general uh, and for those that have made the um you know made the jump to be a part of it from uh, from the get-go that we get some good success stories so absolutely yeah, well, we'll open it up. If any of those uh, companies that are involved want, um, you know, want, want to talk to us, then definitely, um, you know, hit us up. We're we're always keen about uh, about hearing of um, you know good innovative things going going on locally. So uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, to give that some coverage. And I'm you know I'm sure um, PC World would be in a similar position where there are relevant uh, opportunities, right, Zara? We love good Kiwi success stories. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So so. So keep in touch, guys, and uh, and definitely good good luck with uh, good luck with uh, um, with Epic. Uh, now another uh, story. This one was in PC World actually. Uh, is around um, some mannequins with technology built into them. What's this all about, Zara? Are you uh, are you up up with the play? Um, what what I what I read was. Um, um, that there there are new mannequins being put into uh, put into stores uh, that are basically uh, I guess they've got they've got a camera that uh, um, looks through the eye of the mannequin at, at the people coming into the store and uh, you know the concept is is that they can uh, uh, you know collate information in the same way that an online uh, web store is able to collate information about uh, you know visitors and browsers habits and in terms of uh, you know they, they build up a bit of a database and they know we get these visitors from these locations and and so on um, that they're able to uh, uh, use this camera and then analyze and using you know facial um, sort of recognition uh, software and, and 
so on, they're able to pick out sort of who their customers are, whether they're young or old, uh, you know, male or female, uh, you know, racial profiling and, and, and so on to build a bit of a picture of their um, of their customers, which is, is, um, is really interesting to see because it's, you know, it's what we expect in sort of an online world that all this information is going to be built, you know, built about us. Uh, you know, we know when we shop at, say, uh, uh, countdown with our little our little card that they're able to link back and build all this information about what we buy, uh, but it, it feels a bit like a uh, a bit overzealous to uh, you know of to think of a retailer that's actually uh, watching you and uh, um, you know collating all this information. You guys feel comfortable about this? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's um, you know somewhere where they need to go. But I think the reality of the world now is that we're watched all over the place. We're obviously, we're watched online. Everything that we do is uh, you know, tracked online. Uh, if you go to London, you're tracked pretty much everywhere you There's move. There's cameras everywhere, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, basically everywhere. So I can see the sense in it from their point of view. I think their challenge is probably how to use the data and how they're going to do that, how they're going to analyse that. Most of the, you know, particularly the small retailer, I don't think they'd have the skills necessarily. So I don't know whether there's going to be a service behind that to perhaps provide the analysis or something like that. You'd think there'd have to be a kind of big data analysis service on it. But I actually, okay, so I'm not particularly keen on the idea of being tracked while I'm going around a clothing store. But what I do like about this is that it's retailers taking the initiative, you know. Recently I read about um, retailers planning to ban people from trying on clothes in the store because they would try on clothes and then go and buy them online which just seems like cutting off your nose to spite your face, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. They're talking about a feed, a charging your fee to do Ch- Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure people will come to your shop to pay money to try something on, which they can buy online. Somehow I just can't see that working. But this, you know, this actually looks at what people are doing in stores and how they're doing it, and it can help make the customer service and the customer experience so much better, which is a really positive move. So I like that aspect of it, even if I'm not so keen on being watched. Mm. Mm. So... You know the the uh, the question was you know have these have these uh, stores got the expertise to do the stuff themselves maybe not in which case it could get outsourced to a big firm that's doing this across all the retailers or, or many retailers in the in a country or, or internationally if you think of it like that you stand that you could have one company with huge informations uh, you know huge information store uh, then we probably need to look at sort of some you know some legal you know circles around what happens with this information otherwise we start getting into uh, you know the enemy of the state type territory if you've ever seen uh, seen uh, that Will Smith movie. Um, I, I think it sounds like prime territory for a startup to uh, head to Christchurch and do some work on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess, uh, yep, Kiwis could definitely innovate in this space. Absolutely. Go for Epic. All right. All right. So, um, Zara, will you, will you invest in a company uh, in this area? Uh, not really my thing. But my, my partner's a data analyst, so I'll, I'll float it past him, see what he thinks. Mm. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential for for uh, uh, you know for these new types of technologies, uh, but it, yeah, to me it, it all does sound a, a, a little bit spooky if uh, you know if it's not done in, in in a in a good and ethical way. And I guess part of the risk around you know depending on how the information is stored or if it's stored, if it's just the raw results that are stored of what they find. Oh, look, we've you know we we today in our store we averaged you know, uh, 
82 uh, males that were in the uh, 20 to 30 um, you know age bracket um, you know etc that sort of information that's fine but if they actually store and capture this video uh, and all of that land lands somewhere that that then, to me sort of all sounds a little bit scary if they're tying it up between retailers then you start to that sounds a lot more scary but yeah, I guess you know you talked about we talked about London before all the video cameras there. Uh, yeah, that, I mean that that's kind of that's kind of weird as well. But I guess Londoners have got used to it, and there's so much. Uh, uh, well, there's a level of crime over there that's different to to the issues we have there. Uh, and I guess you know, in many cases, people feel safer knowing that those uh, those cameras are are around the place rather than feeling really, an invasion of privacy. You're not really aware of it though. Um, when you're just walking around, you don't think oh, I'm being filmed at the moment, but you are. You're being filmed everywhere there. Like um, if there's a terrorist attack, they can they can trace those guys back all over the place for hours. There are also some citizen initiatives. I've got a friend who's a um, law professor in the UK and uh, there are some citizen initiatives around surveillance as well with people trying to track through surveillance cameras regular citizens which some of the stuff she was showing me is quite insane. I, I can't talk about it more because I haven't got the background with me at the minute but um, if you want to talk about it on another podcast just let me know. Mm. Well you know I, I, I guess one of the concerns is all of this data that's online getting linked together and, and we think of say Facebook that are doing facial recognition and so once an image is on Facebook then you know Facebook can link it back and say well that image is that's Rob Berman and then you know all of these sort of lines get looped up and suddenly we've got you know video of uh, of what Rob's been up to for the last two years where he's gone and uh, oh, that was Rob in the uh, that that strange uh, dodgy uh, blah 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 store, or, or, yeah, or, or uh, <laughs> and, and let's let's sell this information to Rob's partner, who may be wondering what he's been up to, <laughs> or to Rob's enemies, or to you know. exactly. Um, so I mean, you know, anything's possible, and I, and I guess you know, on the flip side, it's probably possible once you know once you're doing this, you could you know falsify information and uh, you know and so on. So I don't know that all. Uh, I guess there's potentially some sinister elements to it if it if it isn't um, you know legislated uh, properly and you know the the constant issue we have around technology is there there you know typically isn't legislation that's designed to handle the newest uh, you know the newest things coming through so um, uh, although it's quite possible that legislation in place already you know provides a a, a good level of protection but maybe maybe not. Mm. All right. Well, if anyone out there uh, works in retail and, and sees the stuff coming through, we'd be keen to uh, keen to hear who's who's uh, who's quietly using it in the New Zealand market. And uh, if you next time you walk into a retailer and there's a mannequin, do have a look at its eyes and see if the eye is following you around the room, uh, or or if it looks particularly spooky. <laughs> um, now, la I think the, the the last sort of main topic we've got uh, tonight is around um, the you know we've been playing a lot with ultra books over the last uh, few weeks. Um, Zara, you, what's the one that you've got uh, there? You've got a an ultra book that you've that, been using that, for, for a while. That's an old ultra book. That's a, a Sandy Bridge, so that's at least six months old now. So. And which which brand is that one? It's a Toshiba. Yeah, uh, and it's one of the now I have to try and remember. Uh, I know it's an eight thirty, but I can't remember which eight thirty it is whether it's a satellite or a protege or a 
Okay. Yeah, anyway. Well, it's. I mean, that's a nice ultra book. I've got here um, HP um, Spectra XT, which and is very nice. And the other one, I think that um, PC World reviewed recently uh, was the Lenovo X1 Carbon. That's the one, which uh, is in our current issue, which is on shelves this week. Oh, very good. You should. It's got an iPad Mini on the cover. It's beautiful. You should go buy it. Okay. I've already had a recommendation from a 14-year-old that we did a good job, so I know I'm on the right track. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, the, the thing that interests me, we've, we've seen all these various Ultrabooks around, and now what we're seeing is all our fancy new Ultrabooks are about to be superseded. And I've been really, I've been really enjoying the Spectre XT. Uh, you know, I talked about it last week. Really nice piece of hardware. Um, but what, we, what we're hearing is that uh, December is the month, certainly in the U.S., when um, a lot of these ultra books are going to, there are going to be touch versions of, you know, virtually exactly the same model. So, for instance, the Spectre XT that I'm using at the moment, uh, there's a touchscreen version of that. Uh, it also adds a couple of ports, a Thunderbolt port and an extra USB, which I think would be rather handy and and uh, and rather uh, nice. And we don't usually see Thunderbolt other than in, in Mac, so it's good to see that coming through in uh, in Windows. Uh, machines yeah we've only just seen uh desktop motherboards that have thunderbolt ports built in so it's it's really quite a new thing and it's definitely good to see um and of course the thunderbolt port is quite good because there's a whole lot of things you can do you can plug in a really high def screen uh you can plug in you know fast drives and and you know other bits and pieces uh there's been uh one or two um quite cool uh, docking stations that uh, that use that uh, technology i mean we're also seeing those usb3 um docks as well have you played around with any of those um zara i've seen a few um reviews internationally on the usb3 sort of i don't know if docks the right the right sort of terminology but what we're seeing with ultrabooks compared to you know our traditional business laptops that you could put into a full dock and it would give it power and your uh you know your dock would have a connection to your monitor and your, your keyboard and all your other bits and pieces of course in the ultrabook world there's no room for that docking connector uh, so you still have to plug in your power but you're getting these little uh, docks that will go and offer usb uh, you know three port and we'll do something similar I haven't seen any of those, I mm. have to admit. But uh, hey, if anyone wants to send me one to review, I'm, I'm keen. Well, I hear Lenovo have one. Um, I haven't seen what what the others um, what the others have, but it's kind of that halfway point between you know not having a dock and and having the old uh, traditional dock. So um, um, it's certainly good to have some sort of options anyway for uh, you know for our ultrabooks. The the other thing, of course, is that now that we're seeing the kind of hybrid and convertible tablets and laptops, so. That's either a um, laptop with a removable screen or a laptop with a screen that slides or flips so that it turns into a tablet. Um, is that you'll get a base or the keyboard portion will have your ports while the top bit is just your tablet. So you can run around with just the tablet if you want, but if you want to connect other things, slot it, slot it into the keyboard and Bob's your uncle. Mm. And some of those have maybe one or two ports in the in the tablet piece. Um, other ones, it's it's more the ports are in the uh, in the keyboard side, right? Yep. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so as well as the um, the Spectre XT, which we understand is a touch smart version of that coming, well, we, d- we don't know the New Zealand dates, but coming, you know, hopefully coming reasonably soon. Um, the Lenovo X1 Carbon is also coming in, um, in, a, in a touch uh, variation. So in terms of pricing, again, we haven't had anything official for the New Zealand market. But it looks as though probably initially uh, this will be an area where the vendors are going to want to make a little bit of extra, uh, you know, profit. Uh, or maybe it's just that the touchscreens are pretty pricey uh, because 
it looks like it's probably going to be around 500 New Zealand dollar sort of price difference to go from a non-touch to a touch. I, I was uh, hoping it would be around 300, I have to admit, but 500 is a little more than I think most consumers are going to be willing to pay and, for And it. maybe it will will be at that 300 point. I mean, just from some of the bits and pieces I've been looking at are suggesting more in that direction, but we'll wait until we see the official numbers. And, you know, I would think over time that will disappear and a touch screen will actually just be normal on our laptops going forward. Uh you know, in the same way that it's, you know, it's pretty hard to find a phone these days that doesn't have a touchscreen, right? Whereas, you know, once upon a time that was a sort of a premium feature, and you're getting, you know, hundred and you know, hundred hundred dollar type phones that have, that have got a touchscreen. So, um, you know, there's not really much of a premium, you know, difference between non-touch and and, and touch there. Um, so, a quick question for both of you: touchscreen in a in a laptop, how important do you think this is? Uh, you know. I guess looking forward, it's all about running Windows 8, right? And touchscreen's not going to be of much use uh, with any other operating system in the in the short term. That's a good question, Paul, because I'm still battling with that. Um, I would use my laptop mainly in a desk situation, and so I'm still wondering what the touchscreen is going to do for me, particularly because I don't think it's going to be quite in reach. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I went on to the Spectre XT, because I'd been on tablets for a, for a couple of weeks or convertibles, um, one of the first you things I did screen, was I reached you? out to my screen and, and started trying to, um, you know, flick through some of the some of the content. Uh, so yeah, I was actually a little bit surprised at that because initially I thought, yeah, would you want to reach out and and touch the screen? But once you actually get used to having that, uh, I think it's quite nice to have have that option I think it just depends how you work because I can see you sitting there with your laptop on your on your lap and you can easily flip through um, or use the keyboard you can sort of alternate and I can see mm. the sense in that totally I think the way I'm you know I don't know 80% of the time I'm at my desk laptops there right right now it's actually probably beyond touching distance I'd have to change the way I work and I'm not sure whether I want to do that yet mm. Mm. So that's that's for me where I'm struggling, I guess personally. Is to yeah, I think there have to be there have to be some change in, in how we operate habits, distance from a, a screen. Mm. I mean, at the moment, I've just um, you know hook, hooked up to I've got my 32 inch um, TV as my as my monitor at the moment, and I'm sitting reasonably close uh, close to it on my on my desk. So if it was a touch screen, I could be flicking through content. I'm not sure. Yeah, what I w- what I would use it for if it was touchscreen, but I imagine um, there would be times things that I'd want to you know I'd want to use that I could use in that sort of touch uh, way. But I probably you know it's not something you would use all the time. It might be something you use two percent of the time, or you know five percent of the time. It would just be convenience of knowing that you've actually got that that option available. Oh, I think there's some nice little things like um, at home, for instance. My father's just asked me. Um, he wants to have a, a tablet or something for sheet music. He's got a lot of sheet music that's online. Mm. Um, you know, what, what does he do? And I'm thinking a touchscreen on top of his electric piano would be great for that. Perfect just, for that. Yeah, flick through to the next page. Yeah, just flick through. So I think that's perfect. So that's a, a nice little application at home I think you could use it for. So one of the nice things that Microsoft has done with Windows 8, and I, I'm not a huge fan of Windows 8, I have to admit, uh, is that if, if you have Windows 8, and you've used it as a touchscreen operating system. It's incredibly friendly for it. You swipe in from the side, you swipe down from the top. Everything that supports Windows 8 um, on laptop will support uh, 10-point multi-touch. 
So that gives you a lot of gestural control over your touchscreen. For a laptop where it's really nice and close, you're going to be able to swipe in, swipe out, do all those kind of gestures. For a desktop, not quite so useful, but you know, I, I don't know about you, but if you try and use a mouse with Windows 8, you're flicking to the corners constantly and it's kind of annoying and you only have a single screen. Windows is a misnomer these days because it's just, you know, you don't get multiple windows anymore. You get one and you're going to want a touch to flick that out the way because that's the obvious way to get rid of a single screen and go on to the next app. Flick, flick, flick. Windows 8 supports that the laptops support that. The, t the two are a really good ecosystem for that kind of, for, for getting people used to gesture control, getting them used to touchscreen laptops. I have been anti-touchscreen laptops for as long as they've been available, but I can see myself using it for Windows 8, which kind of makes me want to hurt myself. Okay, interesting. Now, um, if we if we look at the Apple Apple world for for a moment, and uh, I've been playing around with the iPad Mini over the last little while, uh, Zara, you've got the um, the fourth generation iPad on your on your lap that you've been uh, along with the Samsung Galaxy Note too. using for a little while. Yeah. Um, now now Apple really have blazed the trail as far as touchscreen you know devices. And Rob, you use an iPad as well right and then an, an iphone yep. yep so i mean you know apple have sort of set a lot of the the, the standards by which everything else is sort of be measured in, in the touch world uh but now we're coming into a time where microsoft are doing something different from from apple in terms of you know having uh having touch to go with their their i guess what you would call their you know their pc operating system um, where do where do you see this whole picture going? Is is Apple going to have um, some sort of convergence between their mobile operating system and their desktop operating system? We see that to some degree with some of the the features of um, of iOS starting to appear um, in you know Mac OS X uh, you know ten point eight and in the Mountain Lion uh, release. There's there's that uh, you know that sort of closing of the gap. There's still you know uh, quite different. Um, uh, operating systems. What's uh, what's your pick on where that's where that's going to head? When are we going to have one operating system from Apple that's across uh, both, or when are we at least going to um, you know going to see a sort of a, a change? Or do you think that's never going to happen? I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I think what Apple's done that Microsoft hasn't is, and you've got to remember that Apple started their whole you know touchscreen journey a long while ago with their operating system with iOS. They've assumed that the first interaction people had with a touch operating system, with an operating system in general, was going to be through a phone. And I think they judged that correctly. The number of kids who, who try out a touch screen on a phone whose first interaction with a computer these days is with a, with a phone. I think that's shifted over the last two years since the introduction of the iPad. And now most kids are going to interact with a tablet as their first you know, it's going to be a tablet or a phone. So Apple has done a really smart thing in having their phone and their tablet having exactly the same operating system. No matter, no matter which one a kid tries out, they're going to be familiar with it. They're going to know what they're doing. Microsoft, on the other hand, hasn't done that. They've got desktop and tablet with the same operating system, but Windows Phone 8 is slightly different. So, you know, you get a kid trying out the phone, trying out the tablet, they're two slightly different things. They aren't going to work quite the same way. They've got different gestures. And I think having those out of sync is not the best plan. So I, I think I can't see Apple ever getting touch on their desktops. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, 
I'm on the side of Steve Jobs. I didn't think they'd bring out an iPad mini. I admit, I was wrong. I love the iPad mini. but That's right. You got that wrong on this very podcast. I did, I did. Ago. And, and I must remind you that you also insisted that the iPad had an 8.9-inch screen. Um, so I'll just, I'll just see you straight. It, it doesn't. Okay, thank you. I, I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. I was wrong. I admit it. I think the iPad mini is great. But, you know, I, I can't see Apple having a touch desktop. You heard it here first. If I'm wrong, you'll know where to come. <laughs> Rob, what's your, what, what's your pick on, uh, on what a- Apple are doing? You're, you know, you're a big Apple user in mobile devices. Do you use, um, do you use a MacBook or, or, or a Mac at all? I've actually got a Mac mini at home. Um, but I bought that purely for GarageBand. So I'm not a big I'm not a big Mac user. Uh, I, well, I'm not a I'm not a Mac user, but I'm an Apple user when it comes to touch devices, the you know, the obvious ones. So I, I probably haven't got too much to add to that. Mm. And the and the interesting point here is that Apple makes the the you know the very large majority of their revenue from selling iPads and iPhones, and you know in many regards it doesn't actually matter. You know, too much what Apple does, uh, you know, with the Mac from certainly from a profitability perspective. I think there are a lot of us that use, um, you know, Macs and, and use OS X uh, that, uh, you know, would certainly have some opinions around things that they should do, uh, such as releasing a new Mac Pro, which their current Mac Pro is getting a little bit dated, and I know that, that you know. Uh, you know, frustrates uh, you know a lot of people that are uh, you know working with sort of high-end video and so on and want a really powerful Mac. Although you know, on the flip side, we're seeing the iMacs get more and more you know powerful to the point where you know there there's I guess less of a need to have those those Mac Pros. But um, I think it's important you know as part of the bigger picture for Apple that they keep uh, you know they keep looking after you know all of the all of these audiences even if they don't necessarily generate so much uh, so much revenue from them. I like the simplicity of what they've done with you know the iPhone and the iPad, and I I wouldn't want to see them muck with that too much. Um, whereas you know I think uh, the guys at work, the tech guys, they're all on Android because they actually want to be able to customise everything and they could actually prefer that. I think from this the the general user's point of view, they've they've got it simple, and I think that's how people generally want to keep that. Well, I would like to keep it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some interesting uh, s- stats on online around you know the amount of activity, the amount of online activity, web browsing, and and so on that happens on um, on iPhones and iPads compared to the other platforms, and it and it seems like you know in general. Uh, you know, despite you know we're hearing um, that Apple Apple's you know market share is now you know in the in the in the uh, smartphone space is now a lot smaller than Android. Uh, what you know what we hear is still the large majority of actual um, you know real interactions uh, you know via the web and so on is coming from um, from iOS de- you know devices from from the iPhone. The the sales during um, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which were online, were predominantly from iOS devices. iPhone and iPad led Android by a vast margin. They had like six to nine percent of sales each, whereas Android had like one point six. So this is last last weekend, sort of big um, big sales in the US around yep. sort of Thanksgiving. Yep. So what is what does that actually, what does that tell us? What does that tell us about? Uh, you know the the users of the devices. Is there, is there anything we can learn from that? 
I mean, I've heard different speculations. Some people saying, well, lots of people just buy Android because they want a smartphone, but you know, they don't actually use the smartphone features. Uh, you know, I guess other people might speculate that that you know, Android buyers, uh, you know, don't use their device so much for uh, um, you know for web and for online purchases. What do you think it is? I don't know. It's a hard one. I mean, we we find the stats for our mobile site are exactly the same. It's iPhone, iPod being easily the most um, used mobile device as well ahead of Android. So I'm not sure. Whereas what we hear in terms of numbers, even in the New Zealand market, is that Android is you know is very very. Uh, you know, very strong in this in New Zealand. There's, there's also the distinction to be drawn between the new sales of phones, where Android has like 75% of sales, versus the products that are currently in use, where um, Apple has around 46%, I think, of products in use, as opposed to those that are being newly purchased, where it's only about 33, something like that. But wait, must be low. Must be like 22, given that Android is 75%. Sorry, sorry, retracting my statements here as I go. Um, so Apple still has a, a, a large proportion of the users and often these are early adopters, you know, people who bought into tablets very early. So I don't know, maybe that's a factor. The, I guess the other thing that's got to play into it is the fact that, um, that Apple devices, as a general rule, are able to you know, keep current, keep their operating systems updated for, you know, for a, um, for a window of time, whereas, you know, we've seen uh, Android devices in a lot of cases not, uh, certainly the older devices uh, have less upgrade, um, you know, paths, whereas if you buy, a, um, you know, an iPhone today, and, it, and it's one of the, you know, newer models of 4S or a 5, you expect to have, uh, you know, a reasonable period of, of, uh, of updates, right? So, I think that's um, a huge, you know, frustration in terms of the Android system, but I don't think that explains the web interaction because, I mean, that's basically a browser. But older older devices, you know, with a with an Apple, I mean, what I would pick is that the, the, the second-hand devices are more sought after and more handed on and utilised, Whereas maybe an older Android device that's running a, you know, a, 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 a you know, a, a not such a clean version of the OS, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder to get uptake. I would say if you took, say, you know, had a had a uh, a two-year-old iPhone and a two-year-old uh, Android device, and you know, you offered them to people, uh, you know, that you're going to get a much better uptake, and and the utilization of a two-year-old iPhone is probably going to be a lot better than that of a two-year-old, um, you know, Android device, and it's going to be running uh, a more modern um, operating system. Although on the flip side, the frustration that, that, that we do see with Apple is they will allow you to upgrade your, your device to a, uh, a version of iOS that sometimes makes it really, really slow and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and brings it to the point where you actually want to bin it and buy the newest one, right? So may, yeah. maybe I'm wrong there with my... Uh, um, you know, thoughts on on how useful the older <laughs> iOS devices are. I had that. I had a three GS, and it was it just wasn't doing it anymore. It's. I think that's frustrating. Is that somewhere where Apple's really letting the side down? I mean, I felt the same with my iPad One. You know, not a particularly old, um, not a particularly old device, uh, but you know, it just seems to crash and be unreliable. And you know, re- yeah, reset it and everything. Um, you know, it's got um, it's got the you know the latest version of iOS that it can take, and that just seems to have, have made it not a great uh, not a great device anymore. 
maybe the Android path of not updating is uh, has got some merit. Got some merit to it. Now talking talking Android, Zara. <laughs> sorry, you, sorry uh, you were you were gushing earlier um, about um, the Android device that you're you're uh, you're holding there, the Galaxy Note uh, Two. Which um, you now we had uh, details through today that uh, Samsung are doing their local New Zealand launch because they did their sort of Australia New Zealand uh, launch in Sydney. Uh, when was it? A couple of weeks ago now, but they're doing their sort of official local launch, which means we should have product start become available very shortly. December 4 is the official launch, I think. Is that yes. right? December uh, 3 or 4, somewhere around there. Yeah. So we're, we're uh, uh, I think it's Tuesday next week, actually. Uh, so yeah, so Tuesday next week, which is the fourth, uh, is the uh, yeah the the New Zealand launch event. So um, tell us what you're what you're liking about the uh, the Galaxy Note two. Okay, so um, I have a Samsung Galaxy S three, and this is like the bigger, musclier, more robust sort of older sibling of that phone. Five point five inch diagonal screen, which is massive. But I, okay, so I find the Galaxy S three too big for my hand, believe it or not. But the uh, Note 2 is actually perfect fit because it just kind of slots in. I, I don't expect to hold it too, you know, tightly in one hand. That's and awesome. I can so grip big, it nicely. So a bigger phone is, is fits better. Well, the, the explanation I've got is that I expect to wrap my hand right around the S3 and I can't quite and so it always feels like it's going to slip. Whereas this slots right into the creases in my knuckles and it just sits perfectly. So as long as you've got hands exactly the same size as Zara's, um, <laughs> you are probably going to love the um, the note too. To reassure you, uh, every six foot man I have compared my hands to, my hands have been about the same size. So you know, mo- most people should be okay, I reckon. Excellent. I may be small. I'm only five foot two, but I have big hands. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what do I love about this phone? Okay, it's got a um, quad-core 1.6 gigahertz processor, which is immensely powerful. It also has uh, a HD screen. You're seven, such a geek. I know, I really am. 720 by 1280, so it's reasonably high resolution. That's the same resolution as the Galaxy S3, so it's a little fuzzier on the screen, but it's not noticeable for text. It's only noticeable for high-res images. And you, you only notice it a tiny bit if you're looking. You know, if you're a geek like me, you're going to notice... But otherwise, it's pretty good. The camera is the same as in the Samsung Galaxy S3. It has an S Pen, which is to say a stylus. And when you pull the stylus out of the phone, even if the phone is switched off, well, not switched off, but if it's, you know, if it's sleeping, uh, it will turn itself on and launch the it knows, S Pen app. It knows you want to do a bit of... It knows you want to do a bit of drawing, a bit of writing, a bit of something, or, yeah. which, is, which is fabulous. So I'm just showing these guys the, uh, the apps that pop up. Um... And honestly, it has the most massive battery. It has a 31 milliamp hour battery. Now, that may not mean anything to you. Well, that's 50% more than the, uh, well, than, than most other smartphones on the on the exactly. market, right? Galaxy S3 has a 2300. Uh, so 2100. Tw- I looked it up today. All right, I'm not getting into this fight with G- you again. GSM Arena, we'll get into uh, a fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so so anyway, but it's but it's a lot bigger. I think it's uh, two thousand milliamp on the um, on the Lumia 920. Is it or is it twenty two hundred? Sure, actually. might be twenty two hundred. Uh, I'm going to trust you on that one. And seventeen hundred and fifty was what I read for the HTC eight S. So the, I mean, and and compared to those smaller phones, it's nearly double. Now, part of the reason for that's got to be the bigger screen, right? You need you need a bit more power for that. But the screen is the same resolution as the smaller screen. So there's a bigger processor which is going to chew up more. There's more RAM. Uh, the screen is a little bit larger, but there's no higher resolution. So it shouldn't chew up very much more. And it's running the latest version of Android, which is Jelly Bean 4.1.1. 
4.2 is the latest now. but I but. know, but this one has 4.1.1. Anyway, I, I charged this on Friday last week, and it went all the way through to Monday without me needing to recharge, which I was very, very impressed by. How often do you get that with a smartphone, seriously? Especially on this size. No, that's pretty good going. That's great. Yeah, really good. Which, which boggled me. And at that point, I'm like, okay, this, this thing is a winner. I, I'm not That's letting this go easily. Now, we heard today that the, the, now this has been on sale outside of New Zealand, sort of US um, and some of the other markets for uh, about eight weeks now, yeah, about right? two months. Uh, and they're already up to 5 million sales, which is, is pretty staggering because this is really quite a unique, uh, you know, smartphone tablet sort of, you know, hybrid. It, you know, nobody else is doing is really doing a product like it. I mean, we did look that um, LG have a five-inch uh, smartphone, but, it, you know, it's been pretty much slated in the uh, uh, in the reviews. And as far as I'm aware, it doesn't have the stylus. So, you know, this really does stand out as quite a unique uh, device in the market. So... Just, just for a comparison, I think it's over the first 90 days, and I may need to check that figure. Over the first 90 days of sales for the Samsung Galaxy S3, they sold 20 million units. Actually, I should say, didn't sell. It's their channel sales. They don't count direct to consumers, but still. So that gives you an idea. It's selling about a quarter as well as the Galaxy S3. Maybe a little Which bit better, because it's only eight weeks compared device, to 90 right? days. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's selling really well. Mm, mm. Cool. Uh, now, Zara, just a quick one. Did you, have you seen or seen the info on the Galaxy Camera? That was the other product that uh, in Australia they launched at the same time as the Note 2. And to me, it stood out as really cool concept, a camera with 3G built into it. So you could just upload your, you know, your images immediately and do you know, tweets and, and uh, Facebook uploads from a really good camera. Does that mean you need a new SIM for your camera? You would, yeah. Oh, I already have far too many SIMs. Come on. Unless unless a telco is going to give me a single account to tie all my SIMs together, I, I don't want the, I don't and want this a Galaxy camera. There's a carrier two degrees that will do exactly that. <gasps> I'm switching to two degrees. Sorry, Vodafone. So there you go. All right. Well, I think that's probably us for this week. I think we've run through all the topics. Oh, one last little one. Um, something that I've come across, and, and I know some of the other listeners have, is if you're using uh, Vodafone at home for your internet connection, they have a little white router. And quite often, your router has a problem, which we found out was a DNS problem. And you call Vodafone, and they usually say, oh, just reboot it, and it solves your problem. Uh, but actually, if you've got the little white um, Vodafone uh, router, which is, I think they call it the broadband complete modem or router uh, with wireless built in, um, there is actually a firmware update, which you can find out through Vodafone's website that will solve that issue. Your, your thumbs up there, Zara. Have yes, you come across uh, that issue? Um, Harley, uh, our reviews editor, has been having this issue. He ended up setting up OpenDNS on all his computers to get around it, but he will be so pleased to know it's a firmware update. Yes, so there is an update. It's actually been out for a little while, and I've been meaning to mention it for uh, for quite a long time, and uh, uh, it finally dropped, dropped, jumped to the uh, to the top of my list. So, um, so there you go. So, yeah, anyone that has a, a Vodafone router and needs to reboot it on a regular or irregular basis uh, because of those sorts of issues, this should uh, should sort it out. Uh, you can ring Vodafone or, or have a have a uh, nosy on their website and you should be able to find that. Um, there's a good thread on GeekZone about it actually, so um, you can always have a, a wander uh, around GeekZone. You'll find that in their uh, Vodafone uh, section as well. So, yeah, that's us. Uh, now, where do we find uh, where do we find you online, Zara? Uh, you'll find me at uh, pcworld.co.nz or tweeting at 
Zara Baxter. Very nice. And Rob. And I'm on Twitter at Rob underscore Berman. And uh, what, where do we find um, Fatso? Just fatso.co.nz? Fatso.co.nz. And we've also got a game service, which is launching at the end of the week, um, which is also fatso.co.nz forward slash games. Okay, cool. And do you guys have any sort of, you know, enticing sort of uh, offers for people to try out your service? Or is it sort of, you know, jump in with a, with a full subscription? Hey, it's a free trial, so if you just sign up on, on, go to the site, you can sign up for a free trial. And with the game service, there's no ongoing subscription, so you just sign up and you use as much or as little as you want. Cool, cool. Excellent. Um, and you can track me down on Twitter, just uh, Paul Spain on Twitter, uh, and on those various other social networks like uh, Google Plus uh, as well. Uh, and uh, we do like to be liked at facebook.com slash Podcast. Uh, and you'll find our main website at nztechpodcast.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. Uh, next week uh, is episode 101, and we're working towards having a top 101 uh, gadgets of the year for that episode. Uh, we do welcome contributions from uh, listeners. So if you've got some favorite gadgets that you think uh, that we should be uh, listening uh, listing and, uh, and talking about, um, hit us up with a, a tweet or an email to feedback at nztechpodcast.com. Um, we're not sure whether we're going to be able to get to 101, but um, but we're working on it. So yeah, very keen for uh, uh, for contributions and and suggestions on your favourite uh, tech and uh, gadgetry. Anything from uh, cars to tablets to phones to laptops to um, electronic mannequins or anything else that uh, that you've seen that you think's cool. Uh, all right, that's us. See ya.